What is up, everybody? Welcome into a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and getting ready for the Jags to come to town. They'll be here tomorrow. They'll get ready to play on Sunday at noon against your Texans. Kind of had to kick off. We'll start on Sports Radio 610 at 9 o'clock. Kick at 12 with Mark Andre and myself. And then the post-game show, which hopefully we'll be talking about a Texans win. Texans clinching the AFC South. Talk about playoff possibilities and all that kind of good stuff on Sunday. So we are nearing that, and we've got plenty to do today. We're going to hear from Bill, Ob- Bill O'Brien and Frank Frangie very soon. But we've got DeAndre Carter. We've got Russell Baxter. We've got my first community credit union, first glance keys to the game. We've got our Texans pick them. Presented by Train, my picks straight up and against the spread. We got our player segment, KJAC TV, presented to you by Arctic. We got all kinds of stuff. So let's get it kicked off with our hot reads, presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And let's get to the man himself, head coach Bill O'Brien. Mark Vandermeer caught up with him earlier today. Coach, when you play a team for the second time, particularly if you won, how do you change up what you might do based on what you anticipate their adjustments to be? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, sometimes uh, you play a team for the second time in, in close proximity. You know, maybe it's a few weeks after you played it the first time. In this case, uh, you know, we played them pretty early in the season, and, uh, you know, now we're in the last game of the season. So both teams have changed a lot. You know, they have a different offensive coordinator. They're doing some different things offensively. Blake's back in there as the starter. You know, I think we've changed. You know, we're doing some different things in all three phases. So you just try to do, at the end of the day, uh, you know, what you think is the best way to attack these guys in all three phases because they're very good. They're very good in all three phases. What Blake tape do you look at this year, last year? You have a lot of video on this guy yeah. over the years. Yeah, we played against him a lot. Uh, very competitive guy, very athletic guy, um, guy that can move. Uh, you know, so, you know, obviously you look at the Miami game when he came in, he sparked them. He did an excellent job. I'm sure that's one of the main reasons why he's getting the start this week. Uh He's hot. You know, he's on a roll. So we, we've got to understand that. Uh, then, you know, obviously you go back to other times we've played him and maybe similar teams that have played him with similar defensive schemes and things like that, and you just try to study as much as you can. How important is setting the edge in a game uh, like yeah. this? I mean, that's, that's uh, this is definitely a do-your-job type of game. I mean, you've got to set the edge. You've got to play good gap control. They're, you know, they're – they're a team that uh, is a very good running team. You know, they can run the ball downhill. They can run the ball to the edge, and uh, it sets up a lot of things for them. So if their running game gets going, you know, you're going to have a lot of trouble. What about blocking Calais Campbell and Ngakwe and those guys? It's very tough. Good pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, two totally different guys. You know, Campbell's a very big guy, very powerful guy. Um, and then Ngakwe's, you know, a little bit smaller than Calais, very athletic, very fast. Both guys are having great years. Uh, you have to know exactly where they're lined up. Uh, sometimes they're on the edge of the defense. Sometimes they're inside. You have to know where they are because uh, they, they can really ruin a game. And so we've, we've got to do a great job of understanding that and, and uh, you know, try to try to do as good a job we can of, of uh, battling with those guys. I know you want to run the ball better with the running backs, but Watson's running ability has been very helpful in recent weeks. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he, you know, he's good with the ball in his hands. I mean, he's, uh, he's instinctive. He makes good decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for the most part, he knows when to slide, when to get out of bounds. He's he's added a lot. You know, his his ability to create plays uh, has helped us. So yeah, no doubt about it. How about Westbrook? He's a dangerous uh, yeah. return man. Yeah, I mean, he has I think six six punts of twenty yards or more. Uh, he's done a good job. He's a, he's quick. He's uh, very strong. He's got good vision. He's hard to tackle. You got to wrap him up. If you don't wrap him up, you, you're gonna have a hard time getting him down. 
very competitive guy. He he he's very competitive at receiver too. I mean he he's made a lot of plays for him at receiver, so he's a tough matchup. So they're so good on defense. I got to think field position. It's important every week, but extra important this week. Yeah, I mean we we've got to try to. We've done a good job of that most of the year. I mean we've we've been a good complementary football team for most of the year. You know, and and that has to be the case on Sunday. We've got to play good good complementary football and. Uh, you know, I, I know our guys understand that. We've got to go do it. No doubt. Let's go get it done. Coming up in our next hot read, how about a little Mark Vandermeer with Frank Frangi, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, we got a lot going on in this show. The fact that Frank joins us during our hot reads. Mark, take it away. Frank, 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 it's been a while since week seven, and things have not gone better for the Jaguars. I asked you then, I'll ask you now, what's the key difference this year to the last year when you went to the AFC Championship game, and is most of it injuries? You know what? A lot of it is, and I, and I probably don't know any more now than I knew then, Mark. Uh, it's been a wild season. A bizarre season. A team that was five minutes from the Super Bowl a year ago. We were pretty proud of that suddenly is uh, loses 9 out of 10 before beating the Dolphins last week. You know, there's, there's multiple things, Mark. I think more than anything else, this team was great on defense, just okay on offense going into the season. I think that more than anything else. Great on defense, just okay on offense, and then lost key offensive guys. Lost Marquise Lee, lost Austin Safarian Jenkins, uh, lost Cam Robinson, Leonard Fournette's down for half the season. They weren't good enough. The roster wasn't good enough on offense to overcome that. And that, that's oversimplifying it, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. The offense wasn't good enough to overcome that. Bortles is a good player. He's not good enough to overcome all that, and I think he lost confidence. I think the offense lost confidence. I think the defense lost confidence in the offense, and the whole thing snowballed. So it's been a bizarre season that nobody can really put their head around, Mark. I really mean that. All right, we'll get to the quarterback situation in a moment here, Frank, but one thing I wanted to ask you is how do you explain the performances against Miami and Indy recently where you hold those opponents to seven and six points respectively? I mean, outstanding defense in those games and really kind of perplexing considering what was on the line for the opponents. Yeah, You know, I, I think I think this defense is really good. I'm a homer maybe. I think this defense is really legit. Uh, I, I think Calais Campbell's playing as well as any defensive lineman in the league, without exception. I think Jalen Ramsey's as good as any cornerback in the league. I think A.J. Boye, who you know from his days in Houston, is a very good player. I think the defense is legit. They haven't had great games every time out. The defense is legit. I think a few things that are different. The offense didn't hurt itself at those games. Well, so many times this year, the offense would make a turnover or commit a turnover in minus territory, and you look up at 7 nothing. it's 10 nothing. They got hit in the mouth, and, no, and they never got off the deck. I think the defense has been legit. Should it be the Steelers? The defense swallowed up that great Steelers offense, but the offense was so bad they lost at the end of the game. Uh, they're early in the season. They should have beat the Titans, lost 9-6. to six. They swallowed up that beat, that offense uh, that lost at the end of the game because the offense couldn't do anything. I don't think the, the Colts game or the Dolphins game were unusual defense. I think they've played good defense. They're, they're fifth in the league in defense, both in scoring and total defense, Mark. That's not a, that's not a, a mirage. They're fifth in the league in defense. The offense has just been so bad, honestly. It's been so bad that in this day and age of passing football, and you know this, if your offense can't do anything, if you can't move the sticks at all, if you can't stay on the field at all, eventually the defense collapses. If you look at the games where they won or the defense looked like they played even better, it's really because, in my mind, the offense didn't turn it over, stayed on the field a little bit longer, and gave them a fighting chance. Frank Frangie, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, joining us on Texans Radio. The quarterback position, 
when Bortles gets benched, were you surprised they did that? Were you surprised they stuck with Kessler as long as they did? Because from afar, it didn't look like much was getting done with the backup. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, do, I was not – a bunch of questions there, Mark. I was not surprised they, they made the move. When you're losing, you're losing, you lose. Sometimes you make a move just to, shake, just to shake things up a little bit. And the first game Cody played, it wasn't too bad. I was a little surprised they didn't go back to Blake sooner when Cody started struggling the way he has. So I was not surprised they made the change. I was a little surprised they didn't go back to Blake sooner. But I get it. It's almost like, you know what, if you, you, you play, then you get benched, then you play, then you get benched. I think they almost felt like you could only change it so many times. And then you've moved on from your guy. And, I, and, I, and again, Doug Marone didn't tell me that. That's me trying to just read the tea leaves. But after it, Cody struggled so much. Clearly, this team has a better chance to win with Blake Bortles than it does Cody Kessler. If there's one thing they learned, it's Cody's probably not the guy here. And I think they probably figured that part out. So if clearly, they have a better chance to win with Blake Bortles in the game. It's been a bizarre run for Would you have thought, watching it from afar in Houston, that when they were five minutes in the Super Bowl, that midway through the season, Blake Bortles would no longer be the future. I no. mean, I, we thought he was good. He was twenty-five years old when all that was happening. Yeah, he, he turned twenty-six in April. We believed this guy was going to be the quarterback for the next five, six years, and then it all turned this year. Just a bizarre season for the Jaguars. Well, you think about how many points they scored against Pittsburgh and how he looked against the Texans when we saw him up close and personal. It seemed like he really turned a corner. But uh, look, stranger things have happened in this league. What about Bortles on Sunday, though, Frank? What can the Texans fans expect? out of Bortles, who, let's face it, this is a very important game in his career on Sunday. That's exactly right. I think he's going to play very well. I, I think I think this is a good game on Sunday. I, the Texans have a really good team. We thought before the season they'd be good. Uh, I'm not – nobody in Jacksonville, I can assure you, Mark, is surprised the Texans are this good. Nobody, nobody is surprised this, uh, on our, in our neck of the woods, I assure you. But I think the Jags will play well in this game. I, don't, I think this game is going to be a close game. I think uh, I think the Jags. I think there are players on this team that have a lot to play for individually. The team can't accomplish much as a group, but Bortles is among the players that has an awful lot. There's an awful lot of guys with 50-year options coming up. There's an awful lot of guys with potential extensions coming up. I think they need to keep Marshall Darius. I think they definitely need to keep Calais. They've got to make a decision on Telvin. They've got to make some 50-year decisions on, on Jalen and other guys. I think it's an important game for a lot of people. I think Blake will play well in this game. I also think Leonard Fournette is healthy. He hasn't run well because nobody respects the Jaguars' downfield passing game. The receivers aren't very good. The quarterbacks have been up and down. So nobody respects the vertical passing game. If there's any passing game at all, they hit any plays down the field early on, I think it then helps that, that Leonard Fournette is back and finally healthy. So, uh, look, the Texans have a great season going. You know this. I hope you guys go, go deep in this thing. You've earned that. But I think the Jags are going to play him close on Sunday. I don't think that game's going to be an easy Okay, Frank, so let's talk about some of the other games because we've seen all these teams, and you've seen the Colts recently, so have the Texans. In fact, a week after the Jags beat the Colts 6 nothing, the Texans lost to them 24-21. So the Colts at the Titans on Sunday, what kind of shot do you give Tennessee to pull this thing out? Oh, that's a close game, too. I, I Look, teams like the Titans that are very physical defense and the Jaguars, who are very physical defensively, now, they don't have Casey, but have a very good defensive front, match up well with the Colts. The Jaguars play, and I, and I know you asked about the Colts and the Titans, but I'll make it a point uh, on this comment, Mark, And because I, I think the Titans are like the Jaguars. The Jaguars match up very well with quarterbacks who stay in the pocket. It's not a surprise to me that the Jaguars beat the Patriots, that they beat the Colts, and that they frankly should have beaten the Steelers, because those quarterbacks are trying to beat you for the pocket. 
they will have a tough time with Deshaun Watson. They have a tough time with Mariota. They have a tough time with quarterbacks who get out of the pocket. Well, I think the Titans are built the same way. I think the Titans are going to play the Colts very close because they will get after a quarterback who, play, who tries to win the game from the pocket, and that's what Andrew Luck is. Having said all that, Luck is so good. I don't know that he drives the ball as well as he once did before the shoulder injury, but he's pretty close to being the same guy. And he is so good. He is, it's a quarterback league, and he's such a good quarterback that I think the Colts are going to win the game. But I think that's a, a terrific game, and I think that thing goes down to the wire. You think this is the best division in football? Yes, I do. I, I said before, look, other than our team, everybody else has really held their weight in this thing. I thought before the season the NFC South would be the best division because I think the Saints are Super Bowl I thought before the season the Saints are Super Bowl caliber, and obviously they are. Uh, the, the Falcons aren't that far removed from the Super Bowl. The Panthers had a wonderful season last year. I thought if Jameis Winston got it going at all, Mark, that that would be the best division because I thought all four teams would be competitive, and they, and they weren't. Other than that, three of the four teams in our division have been competitive. Look, three teams in our division are – are, are have big aspirations. The other team, our team, was five minutes in the Super Bowl a year ago. So all four teams are not that far removed from very good stuff. So, yes, I think this is the best division. Uh, obviously, the uh, the AFC West has two very good teams. The top to bottom it isn't as good. I think this is the best division of football. Frank Franchi, voice of the Jaguars, with us. All right, a game of great interest to Texans fans, especially if they manage to beat the Jaguars, is the Jets at New England do the Jets have a chance to pull off the upset in Foxborough, in your opinion? The Jags beat both of these teams. No, I don't think so. I think the, the, the Patriots are an interesting lot. They, they always seem to be good when they need to be good. We, you see them during the year sometimes, Mark, and you'll think, what in the world? They're better than that. Uh, but they always – don't you think that when the Patriots need to be good, mm. they're always good? They're, in fact – they're about as good as there's been in the history of the league at being good when you need to be good. They need to be good this week. Obviously, they're fighting for that two seed. Um, it's a very important game for New England. I think they rolled the Jets this week. Yeah, I'm afraid you're right, but I was hoping for better things, or different things, rather. Uh, the Chiefs, what do you think of the Chiefs going deep here? Are they the best team in the AFC? Is it a surprise? Is it the Colts maybe rising up? Is it the Chargers? What do you think? I think the Chiefs have to outscore you because they're not very good on defense. I do think the Kareem Hunt thing hurts them. I think he was, I don't think he was just a functional piece of a very good offense. I think he was a, a big reason, uh, along with Tyreek Hill and Mahomes, of course, that that offense was so good. So the Chiefs have a very good team, but they have to beat, they have to outscore you. They're not, Chiefs aren't beating you 10 to 7. Sometimes 10 to 7 games rear their head. Um, if it's me, even though they haven't looked like the best team in football, if you ask me who is going to advance out of the AFC, it's hard for me to pick against Belichick and Brady until they're not the team. The most interesting team, and I think the way Deshaun Watson has played, the most complete team is your team. I think the Texans are the most complete group when they're playing well. Even when they lose to Philadelphia, it was a good game, and then that, that thing was that thing was down. That was twelve rounds, right down mm-hmm. to the wire. So I think the most complete team is probably. I think the NFC is probably better top to bottom than the AFC. I think the most complete team is probably the Texans. Uh, I think the most high-flying team, if they're all, if this thing, these things are all track meets, are the Chiefs. But if you ask me to bet on one team, the Chargers were disappointing last week, by the way. They played small in a game at home against the Ravens they needed to win. Uh, that, one, that one really surprised me, that they didn't find a way to win at home in that game. So I'm not betting against Belichick and Brady, Mark. I'm just not. Until, until they don't get there, it's hard for me to bet against them. Objectively, I think I agree with you, Frank. Great stuff there from... 
two of my favorite people in the world, Mark Vandermeer, my boss, and good friend, and Frank Frangie, a good friend of mine who I've known since my days back in Jacksonville. It's always kind of cool when those two get together. All right, let's get to our final hot read, and it is the injury report, and it is the status report on Friday. Who's in, who's out? Let's hit it. For your Texans, some good news. Only three are questionable. Brandon Dunn, Jonathan Joseph, and Kiki QT. That's it. Everybody in. That includes Lamar Miller. That is great news. That includes Kareem Jackson, who left the game the other day. That's great news for your Texans. For the Jaguars, a little bit more complicated. Their kicker, Josh Lambeau, is out. They're going to have to find a new kicker. A.J. Boye at the corner, also out. And Josh Wells, who left the game against Miami, With a concussion, he is out as well. So that's going to reconfigure the Jaguars' offensive line. Leonard Fournette is also doubtful. That will be the third Texans-Jaguars matchup he has missed in a row. And Carlos Hyde is questionable. So the running back situation there in Jacksonville more than likely means a lot of TJ Yeldon. The Texans will see him yet again. So there you go. QT, questionable. Joseph, questionable. Dunn, questionable. Out for the Jags. A.J. Boyer, Josh Wells, and more than likely, Leonard Fournette. So there you go. All right, those are your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, it's time for our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. This week, DeAndre Carter, next on Texans All Access. It is time for our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. Each and every week, D.P. Sidhu sits down with one of the Texans, kind of dives deeper into that particular player's story. And this week, it is DeAndre Carter, who's got one hell of a story. DP, take it away. I've never had you in studio before. Um, I want to talk about the season you had, because you started off week one in Philadelphia. By week 10, you're here in Houston. I know you've been in the league for a few years. Did this season turn out even the way you had had expected it to? Uh, Not exactly. I was happy. You know, I made the team in Philadelphia for the first time. I uh, thought I was playing pretty well there, but, you know, had some injuries come up. Some guys come back from injury, um, so they let me go. I ended up here in Houston. Didn't go exactly how I planned, but I'm glad it ha- happened the way it did. We played Philly last week, and I saw on their stat sheet you were still the lead returner <laughs> for both the Eagles and the Texans, even though you were no longer on that yeah. Philadelphia roster. That's got to feel good, that what you were able to do in your few games that you were there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just try to go out there and try to make an impact for the team. Um, felt like I did a, a good job when I was out there in Philadelphia, and you know I've been doing a good job here. I want to continue to do that. When you came to Houston, did you have any connection to any of the coaches or the players? Uh, coach Sealy, special teams coach, I played for him in Oakland uh, my rookie year. Um, I mean, some of the players, you know, have been around. Okay, so Coach Sealy and Tracy as well? Yeah, Tracy as So well. they knew of you? Yeah, you? they already I already played for So was it a pretty easy transition once you got here? Real easy, real easy. And perm return is, I mean, perm return, kick return is really just – catch the ball and run where nobody's at. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, sometimes they split those duties up. You'll have one guy do kickoff returns mm-hmm. and one guy do punts, but you do both. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I just think that position flexibility is something that'll help you, you know, throughout your career. The more you can do, the more, you know, more opportunities you get to make plays. Bill O'Brien, I asked him about you the other day. One of the things that he always mentions, he mentions your toughness and he mentioned your work ethic. Mm-hmm. So I know that you used to be a substitute teacher. The yep. story's been sort of out and about, but I've never talked to you firsthand about it. Tell us how you got into substitute teaching because it was during your NFL career, right? Right, right. So after my rookie season, I was in camp with the New England Patriots. They let me go cut me at the end of the preseason. Um, and I was looking for a job or do something that I could do that would allow me to have some flexibility to go out and uh, go to workouts if I had to fly, you know, to a different state. Um, and I have a 
you know, a longtime friend, kind of like my older brother, coach and mentor. Um, he's a head counselor at Martin Luther King Middle School in Hayward, California. Um, and I was telling him about the situation, how I needed some flexibility. He said, man, just come substitute at the school. Um, and the principal there was great, allowed me to come and go when I needed to. Um, and anytime you get to impact kids or, you know, help kids, especially, in you know, a rough area that I was in, uh, it's definitely a great thing. You're pretty young yourself. So how old were you when you were doing that? I was 22. Okay, so you're not that much older than some of these high school kids. Yeah, right. So what were you like as a substitute teacher? Because I remember when I was in high school, the substitute teacher just sort of came in and put on a movie and nobody really did anything. Right. But you were not that type of substitute. No, I mean, you know, I came in um, and the the kids kind of knew, you know, I played football in the NFL and things like that. So... um, I would say I had a little bit easier than a lot of substitutes, you know, having you had a little bit of res- instant <laughs> yeah. respect, a little bit you? of respect from the kids. Um, but you know, just having the platform that we have, um, kids are going to listen to what you got to say and the knowledge that you can, you know, impart on their lives. So, um, you know, I just look at it as an opportunity to, you know, to help kids out, push them on, push them, you know, towards their dreams, whatever it is that they want to do. Um, and seeing, you know, somebody like me that's, reach you know some of the levels that they're trying to get to or you know had a certain level of success um, they're going to listen to it so so what did you teach because it seems like you taught a lot of different things yeah. you weren't just specializing in one subject yeah it was different i had history classes english classes uh a couple of math classes i was all over the place was that hard to do or were you always a good student uh it was it wasn't as hard as i thought it was going to be because you know you you go to, uh, you know, whatever the lesson plan is for the day, you go over that information, you know that you know that stuff, and then you, you know, teach it to the kids. Um, but I was, I mean, I was an average student in, in school, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> You're just uh, subbing for the day. Yeah. Did you have a subject that was your favorite that, that when you were like, oh, I, I like teaching Yeah, this history. One. History was pretty fun um, just because where we're at, you know, in our country right now um, – you can come you can come up with a lot of great debate topics you know with the kids and you get to see what their perspective is on the different issues that are going on you know today and you know you might not think that kids pay attention to those things but you know listening to them they have interesting perspectives on you know what's going on oh that's it's like a little bit of a current events mixed right. with history as well yeah, yeah. all right i read somewhere that you also got some kids ready for a speech competition yeah so you know, we had a we had a couple kids um, at the school who were, you know, going ahead. They had to write a speech, write a, you know, a speech about, you know, their pretty much their life growing up, um, and had opportunity to help them, you know, with the you know the grammar of their speech and you know getting their points across, um, you know, which is pretty good. And you know, the kids did a great job. Uh, it was a great experience for me. All right. So then, while you're doing all this, you're still trying to get a tryout in the NFL. Right. So how did that work? So I would work out, you know, I mean, school is 8 to 3. Um, so it gave me, like, the flexibility I was talking about, gave me the opportunity to go and still be able to work out after school got out. Um, and then when teams called, you know, for a workout, I would fly out, you know, that day or the next day. Um, and Miss Fernandez, the principal at the school, uh, was real great about letting me leave when I needed to uh, and went well. All right, so then you get the call from the Texans. Uh, you were not substitute teaching, actually. You were with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were released, and then you got picked up by the Texans pretty quickly. What mm-hmm. was that like for you coming to Houston? Uh, it was a great opportunity. You know, I looked at it as a great opportunity. 
Um, it was kind of, you know, in the middle of the season, you know, it gets kind of dicey with, you know, moving to a whole other state, you know, in the middle of the season. But um, I was excited. You know, when I came here, they were on a winning streak. Um, and I was excited to be, you know, a part of a playoff contending team and be able to get out there and contribute. Um, and it was good to know that, you know, a team had a, the confidence in me as a player to, to bring me in like that in the middle of the season. So um, I was excited for the opportunity and ready to get to work. I would imagine your substitute teaching and study skills sort of helped you get get caught up on the playbook or whatever the play the plan the game plan for the week was too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, study skills. I mean, that's any player. You know, coming up. You know, you go through college, you go to school. Um, you learn those different study skills, and it helps you learn the playbook wherever you end up. Um, you know, quicker. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I got a pretty high football IQ, so that helps a lot too. I know John Harris had mentioned to me once, he was noticing before a play, you came in on offense, and the way the receivers were lined up, I think DeAndre, he might not have been in on that. So everything was shifted a little bit, but you were telling guys where they needed to go, like who was out of position. But you seem to have gotten a really good grasp of, of picking things up even quicker than some of the guys that had been here for a while. Yeah, you know, I've, you know, been through a few systems in the NFL. Uh, you know, some, some of the younger guys, um, you know, if this, you know, whether it be your first offense, first year in the NFL, you know, it can be difficult. It's, you know, a substantial, substantial amount of information more than you got in college. Um, you know, so when I, whenever, if I know something and I'm able to help, you know, another guy out on the field, I'm going to do that, make sure the play goes well. How did it feel going back to Philly? You put up 102 102- 122 receiving yards on five kickoffs, best game yet of the season. It must have felt good to go back to Philly and put up numbers like that. No, it was good. It was good. You know, it was fun, you know, to get out there and play against, you know, some of the guys that, you know, I played with um, throughout the year. And then, you know, being out there, Philly has a great crowd, great fans, and it was a important game, you know, for both teams. Um, so, you know, the game was fun. You know, happy I was able to out there, go out there and play well. Hopefully, I mean, I wish I, we got the win, but it was – you know, a good feeling to go out there and play well. All right, you had also six catches on offense, and now with Demarius Thomas going on IR, they may use you more on offense. I was asking Bill what some of your strengths were in the receiving game. He said that you play mostly inside, but you're you're a smart player and you can do some things with Demarius going on IR. Even though you guys play a little bit different uh, position, well, what do you think that are, are your best assets as far as the receiving game goes? For me, I think it's just knowledge of coverages, defensive coverages, and then. Um, you know, speed and quickness, being able to get in and out of breaks um, and separate from guys and man coverage, know where the holes are at in zone coverage, um, all those things help me succeed. So the Texans have secured a playoff spot. I know they're they're still looking for Week 17, that win against Jacksonville, but no, they know they're in the postseason for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is that, How does that feel as, you know, this is your first year that you're starting games and playing games in the NFL to be able to have that opportunity and to, and to really make an impact both on special teams and on offense? It's exciting. You know, we secured the playoff spot. You know, we got to go out here and get a win against Jacksonville this week to try to, you know, win the AFC South outright. Um, but it's exciting, you know, to be able to – this is why you play football. This is why, you, you know, you're a little kid in the backyard playing by yourself, you know, pretend like you're in a Super Bowl and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, big, meaningful games, you know, late in the year, this this is why we do it. So it's exciting. I hope some of those kids at Martin Luther King High School are watching you right now. I'm, I'm sure they are. There's no question in my mind that they are. they got to be very, very proud of that man right there, DeAndre Carter. All right, coming up, it's my first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. What are the Texans – have to do to get this dub against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do that next right here on Texans All Access. It is time to take a deep dive into this one on Sunday as we are less than 48 hours away from 
Texans v. Jaguars, noon kick right here at NRG Stadium, and it is Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. So glad to be with you. It's time to get into our first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game, FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Each and every week, I, your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, try to break down each team, kind of just give you some of the keys, I think, to victory. Sometimes we get a little granular. Sometimes we take a 50,000-foot view at the game, and we do it on both sides of the ball. And then if there's a key special teams-wise, uh, I bring that to the front. I think special teams-wise, while I'm, while I'm thinking about it, I just think the biggest thing is as simple as D.D. Westbrook. As a punt returner, I think he can be dynamic. Look, Kaimi Fairbairn can put it through the end zone anytime they want, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to force the Jaguars to start at the 25-yard line and have to go the distance and not give any of the Jaguars returners an opportunity. Now, I do think that the Texans' kickoff cover teams have been very, very good. Now, there's no Brian Peters, but Terrell Adams came back into the fold, and also so did Josh Kyes. Those two guys are phenomenal special teams players. So I think even if they wanted to take, I don't say risk, but if they wanted to give the Jaguars returners a shot, the kickoff return coverage has been very, very good. But they can they can bang it through the end zone. Kaimi can bang it through the end zone anytime he wants and put the Jaguars at 25 and make Blake and company have to go the full field. But the punt return game is a little different. D.D. Westbrook is pretty dynamic in space. And last week, with about 15 seconds left, the Dolphins in the first half, the Dolphins punted the ball to Westbrook, and he took off on a long return. He got tackled with about three seconds left, but he had had about a 45, 50-yard return, and that gave the Jaguars an opportunity for a field goal right at the end of the half. Now, it was probably the worst field goal attempt I may have ever seen. It was not, it was not good. It was not good, and it was not good, if you catch my drift. But D.D. Westbrook can make plays in the punt return game. He's scary. He's not Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles is D.D. Westbrook. Is, he could take off. He's got the speed. He's got the juice. So that would be your one special teams one. Now, let's. last week we started with the Texans offense. This week, let's start with the Texans defense. And these are in no particular order. But number one. Stop Blake Bortles, the running back. Now, I, of all the games that I have covered of Jags-Texans, there's only been one and out. So that goes back to 2014. So this will be number 10. I think that's right, number 10. And when I started in 2014, Blake Bortles was the rookie starter for the Jacksonville Jaguars. At no time, except for one game, did Blake Bortles hurt the Texans throwing the football? Only one. And that was December of 2017 down in Jacksonville when the Jags clinched the AFC South and Bortles had a massive day against the Texans that day. He hit everything. He dropped deep over ball, deep over outs, just dropped the ball right in the bucket to Keelan Cole. He threw deep. He had Jadon Mickens. He threw everything right and on point. Now, Along the lines, Blake has kept Jacksonville in a lot of games against the Texans because of his ability to scramble. 2014, I remember late in the game, he got a scramble and got the ball down inside the 10-yard line from about the 40. He just kept going and going. And Okay, is anybody going to stop him? Anybody going to tackle this guy? Oh, my. Oh, he could win the game right here. Oh, stop him. And eventually somebody did tackle him. But then when he had to throw the ball in the end zone four times, they all went incomplete. 
in 2015 in Jacksonville. Same thing. He had some plays that he made with his legs, and that kept things going. But Texas would end up winning that game. But he kept things interesting. 2016 in Jacksonville, he kept it interesting with his scrambles. Blake Bortles, the running back, or I should say the scrambling quarterback, is a problem and can be a problem. Now, in Jacksonville this past year, week seven, the Texans did a heck of a job spying on him, and then when he decided to scramble, they were ready. It was one linebacker at times, it was two at times, but whenever he scrambled and didn't want to throw, they had linebackers ready to go. I would imagine there's going to be a similar game plan. But the Jaguars will run zone read. They will run it, and they will run it a few times just to get Blake out on the edge. Now, the Texans have some techniques that they can use to defense that, but that's going to be a problem. So stop Blake Bortles, the running back. Number two, bring your big boy pads and stop Leonard Fournette. Now, he's been banged up. He's been dealing with an ankle or a foot. But whether it's Fournette or whether it's Hyde, those guys run hard and they're big backs, as is Blake. You're going to have to bring your big boy pads. You're not just going to have to do a little rugby tackle and, oh, wrap him up. You're going to have to bring your pads, and you're going to have to bring a lot of guys to the party. Step up to the challenge. Hit them right in the mouth. The last time and the only time that Leonard Fournette has played against the Texans, he rammed it right down their throat. Week 1, 2017. It was his first game as an NFL player, and he wanted to make a statement, and he did. Now it's time for the Texans to return to favor. Number three, keep the deep threats in front of all at all times. If there's one thing the Jaguars do have, it is speed at the wideout position. Now, DJ Chark was inactive last week, but they still have Keelan Cole, who didn't play a whole lot last week against Miami. And then they've got D.D. Westbrook. Those guys can all run by everybody in the league, including the Texas defensive backs. I thought they mockery, probably not going to go by you. But those three guys all have an opportunity. Now, don't know if Chark will be inactive. Don't know. But those guys can all get by you. If there's one thing, after last week, Nelson Aguilar went deep. T.Y. Hilton went deep. Those guys can smoke. These guys can all run for the Jaguars. Do not let them behind. Keep it in front. Make Bortles have to be accurate and on time with all of his throws for 10 to 12 plays at a time. They've done that one time. That was week one. And I don't know if they can do that consistently, especially with the offensive line. That's in front of Blake at this point. Now, Bortles, key number four. Bortles in the well versus Bortles on the run is two different things. When Blake has to throw from the pocket, mechanics are just all over the place. His feet are all jacked up. When he gets on the run, that's when things get kind of creative and they get a little better for the Jacksonville offense. Blake on the run is tough to stop. He throws a good ball on the run. He has vision when he's out and about. But if you contain him in the well on drop-back throws, he's not going to be as accurate. He's going to give you the football, and he's not going to be able to keep drives going. When he escapes, it's trouble. Keep Bortles in the well when he escapes, have the spies, and be ready to go. And number five, I can't emphasize this enough. Bubble screens, slip screens, any kind of smoke screens, any kind of screen you can think of, the Jaguars will run it. Against Miami, I think Blake was five of six. Three of them, if I remember correctly, were just bubble screens. Just throw it out to a guy and let him go get it. 
They're going to run bubble screens. They're going to run screens. Those are seemingly easy throws. They take advantage of aggressive defenses, but they also take advantage of undisciplined defenses. And the Texans are not an undisciplined defense. But the first part is true. They're easier throws, typically. And they're, they're not really risky throws. You get it to your speedy guys out in space and you let them see what they can do. So expect the screens. If Blake rolls one way, screen's coming back. If a running back kind of goes through the line, it looks pass, keep an eye on him because they could be setting it up. Like I said, the Texans read those pretty well. The interior guys, DJ Reader, does a heck of a job reading the screens. He's very important in stopping them. I remember him making a play in the Jacksonville game on a screen. So that's what Texas defense has got to do. Now, the Texans offense has a huge challenge on its hands. So let's start with facing this Jaguars defense. Number one, and I said it in week seven, and it came to fruition, and the Texans won the game 20-7, and I'm convinced a lot of this is why. Please contain, block, stop, harass, get in the face of, whatever you got to do to stop him, Yannick Ngakwe. He can wreck the game. Week 1, 2017, he went full game wrecker and changed everything. Coming off the edge. He's awkward the way that he kind of approaches the, the, the tackles when he rushes. He's got blazing speed. He is strong and he is relentless. Do not let him wreck the game. Number two, DJ Hayden, nickel, has been better. He has been a lot better. We have faced him before. I remember in Mexico City in 2016, DeAndre Hopkins went into the slot, and the Raiders were stubborn. They left Hayden on him all night, and Hopkins had a huge night. He's better, but he's not Boye, and he's not Ramsey. So you have a decent opportunity of going at DJ Hayden in the slot when he's playing the nickel. I'd rather do that than attack those other two. You can't go away from the other two, but you can have some success, I think, throwing away from them. Number three, running game. Run downhill and right at those fast linebackers. Telvin Smith and Miles Jack run sideline to sideline as well as any group you're going to find in the league. Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch in Dallas. Telvin Smith and uh, Miles Jack in Jacksonville. Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan in Chicago. Those are the groups that I think of when I think of linebackers that just go, of course, the Texans, Zach Cunningham and BMAC as well. But these guys are fast. The difference with Zach and BMAC and with Roquan and Danny and also uh, Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith is those guys, they can plug gaps. They're good-sized guys. So they can plug gaps. You can run power. You can run side, inside zone, those kind of things. Telvin Smith and Miles Jack are in safety bodies. Run right at them. Run downhill and at them. Occupy them, they won't have a chance. Number four, speaking of Occupy. Occupy Calais Campbell with a man and a half or two men each time Deshaun Watson goes back to pass. I have this vivid memory of week one, 2017. And it's the first time I had seen Calais Campbell other than a preseason game for, I don't even know, I don't even remember him playing in that game in 2014, my very first game on the sideline. I I saw Clay's Campbell up front for the first time. I just went, oh, my God. He, he's the most – he's massive. I've never seen anybody make J.J. Watt look somewhat tiny. But when J.J. goes out for the captains uh, – for the coin flip, and the captains go out there and he shakes hand with him, I'm like, oh, my God, Clay's is massive. And then 
he flipped the switch and it was like, oh, he's unbelievable. He still is that way. He's 32 years old. He's going to be 33 in September, and he can still turn the game at the drop of a hat. He can be still dominant because of his size, because of his length, because of his intelligence, because of the full package. You've got to occupy him with a man and a half, with chips, with tight ends, and if the tight ends are going to chip, they got to chip. The tackles are expecting you to chip. you got to do it. The fumble in Philadelphia came off a play where a tight end was supposed to chip on Chris Long, and he never did, and that left Kendall in a really bad position in scrambling because he expected the chip so that Kendall could, could move to a particular spot and then handle the block from there. But with no chip, Kendall was expecting him at one spot, but with no chip, Long was running and Lamb had no chance. So if you're going to chip, chip. But you got to do it on Clayus Campbell. You must. And number five, a lot of people talk about smoke and mirrors, jet motions, orbit motions, shifts, all that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff can work against undisciplined eyes. And what I mean by that, teams that kind of watch that smoke and mirror stuff, they kind of get lost in it, and then they don't know where they're dropping, they don't know where they're going. That stuff can work against an undisciplined defense. Jacksonville is wildly aggressive, and they can be undisciplined at times. And that smoke and mirrors can kind of get them. So use that stuff. Jet motion, ball fakes, play action, any and all that stuff will take advantage of over-aggressiveness and undisciplined nature. And Jacksonville is not an undisciplined defense across the board. They are very physical. They run fast. They get to the football They're more over-aggressive than they are in discipline. But the smoke and mirrors can take advantage of that too. Ball fakes, motions, shifts, all that kind of stuff can take advantage of Jacksonville. So don't be afraid to use it. I think you can take advantage of any, any defense, as a matter of fact. Because every defense at some point, no matter how good it is, no matter how disciplined it is, they can get lost in that stuff. Your eyes get stuck with, okay, this guy's going over here. Okay, now in your mind you're thinking, if he shifts over, I now have to change my coverage if I'm playing the secondary. If I'm a linebacker, I'm looking at it going, okay, well, he just went from number four to number three. If he motions out, i got to go with him because he might be number two at the end of this. There's a lot of things that go on for a defense. It makes them think a little bit. When you're over-aggressive, you're just playing fast and you're just going. But you see all that stuff and it kind of slows you down a little bit. Don't be afraid to use that stuff. All right, those are your first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. Coming up next, it's our good friend Russell Baxter, NFL analyst at Bax Football Guru on Twitter. He'll break down this important Week 17 that we have coming up next on Texans All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Materials presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Materials is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders Learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toros Materials to learn more. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, and I'm joined by my good friend, Russell Baxter. You can follow him on Twitter, at BaxFootballGuru. You definitely want to go find them on NFL Vibe on Facebook. NFL Vibe on Facebook. Doing a great job, fan side NFL Spin Zone. My man, Russell, knows everything about the game, and he proves it each and every week. Russell, happy holidays to you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing terrific. How was your, uh, how was your Christmas? And um, any uh, big New Year's resolution except uh, getting a 
Texans to the Super Bowl? Well, yeah, that's that's number one. I would I, I wish I had a lot of control in that one, Russell, but uh, I think it's probably the same one as always, and that is to lose a little bit of weight. I think I'm like a lot of people that say, all right, you know, the holidays, oh, I'll just get to my New Year's resolution. So losing a little weight is a, is a, is a resolution, but uh, that usually lasts until about February and March, and then I go to the combine and I eat like a horse, so then it all changes at that point. So, oh, uh, uh, yeah. Not to go – will you beat the combine? Yes, problem, yes we, are, we will always be at the combine, yes. That's nice to hear because I might be attending myself this year. Ah, well, you definitely will have to join us for sure. We'd love to have you on. There's no doubt about that. And, Russell, the combine is in Indianapolis. Watch me segue into this. And Indianapolis will play in Tennessee – for a spot in the playoffs. Now, there's a lot of different things that have to happen. If the Texans win on Sunday afternoon, then that Tennessee-Indianapolis game ends up being only for a wild card. But it would be the second year in a row that the Titans had gotten a wild card. It would be the first in a while for the Colts coming off a dreadful season last year and out of the playoffs a few years before that. As you dive into this Indianapolis at Tennessee game, there's a lot There's a lot there. Darrell Casey out for the Titans. Marcus Mariota, presumably in, don't know. It feels like a beat-up Titans team, but yet the Titans keep winning and play very well at home. Indianapolis, ooh, it was tight last week against the Giants, but they found a way. What are your overall thoughts about this one, Colts and Titans, on Sunday night in Nashville? Well, a lot of this will be built about Andrew Luck against Tennessee's defense, but uh, I think the key to the game for the Colts um, is to out-tighten the Titans. And, you know, lost in some ways uh, with Luck's amazing season has been the revival of the running game for the Colts. Ranked 21st, but, you know, you got to look at the Colts' rankings a little differently since that 1-5 and start. Yeah. Persistency with that offensive line, certainly a Frank Reich staple going back to the Eagles last year. Uh, You know, you think about what Philadelphia did in the Super Bowl um, and in the postseason, able to run the football uh, able to overcome the loss of Jason Peters the second half of the year and in the playoffs as well, the left tackle. Uh, Quinton Nelson has made an enormous cha- uh, difference on the Colts' offensive line. They're a little more power football than I think the people give them credit for, and I think they'll try to take advantage of Jarrell Casey not being there. Yeah, and I think that's, to me, that's the one, and that's why I mentioned it, Russell. I think that's the biggest piece, having watched that Tennessee defense over the years, them not having Jarrell Casey I just don't know where their playmakers come from. I mean, they're going to have to generate it through scheme, and eventually Andrew Luck is going to oh – boy, he's going to—he's probably going to pick up a part. But, I, you know, with Derrick Henry, you know, the hope mm-hmm. is that they can get a running game going and, and the Titans can make this one close. But I just look at it from this perspective, Russell. I said before the year I thought the AFC South had a chance to be the best division in football, and now you look at it, at least three teams are going to finish with winning records, two teams – will finish with at least 10 wins, and the other one will have nine. And then the fourth team was Jacksonville, who won the division last year. The AFC South has come a long way seemingly since the years of 2015-2016 when the Texans won it at 9-7. and seven. Yeah, there's no question about it. And the irony of this Colts-Tennessee game, um, with a little fun historical look, is kind of interesting to me. You've got a Colts team that was 1-5, and now on the verge of, if they win, getting into the playoffs. Um, you would That would be quite the comeback, wouldn't you say, John? Yes, definitely. And how ironic. The name of their head coach is Frank Wright. <sighs> Does he know anything about comebacks? Yeah. 
He he certainly does. I saw this one, Russell, the other day, and, and I, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but when the Texans were 0-3, Mm-hmm. There was like a point zero something percent chance of them making the playoffs. Right. The Indianapolis Colts, when they were one in five, they were the the chance of them making the playoffs was even more minuscule. So there's a strong possibility that with a Colts win and a Texans win, that those two will meet in the playoffs, and the chances of that were completely infinitesimal back at one and five and zero oh and three. It's amazing to think what these two teams have done to turn it around, and it could be in Indianapolis. The game could end up being in uh, could end up being in Houston, depending on some of the things that happen throughout the league. So the fact that Houston and Indianapolis could end up meeting in the playoffs for the third time would be the first time ever that that would happen. That those two division opponents would meet each other in the playoffs. I I look. I don't know that anybody really wants to play the Colts, but I'd be curious to see what happens because the teams are even at this point, 58-58, 37-34, and then 24-21. They're tied at 58, so I don't know. Maybe the third one breaks all ties. But there's some other things that could happen, Russell, that change things, and one is the Jets going to beat the Patriots in Gillette. Now, my gut tells me that's not going to happen, but do you give the Jets at all a shot considering the way the Jets have played the last three weeks? Um, I give the Jets a shot, John, because of the way the Patriots have paid the last three weeks. Good point. Great point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's less about uh, New England. I, I, I can safely say even in, in years where they weren't, you know, one of the top seeds, you go back to 2009, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they got bounced in the wild card playoff game by Baltimore at home and, and some of their other years and so on. Uh, during this dynastic run of theirs, I can't remember a more erratic season by the Patriots. They've had two two-game losing streaks. Um, they were three and five on the road this year. They didn't even look that sharp last week against uh, the Buffalo Bills. They turned over the ball three times. They got the running game going. Their, their passing attack doesn't look very sharp. They don't look like they're heading into the playoffs with Ed Esteen. But the bottom line is they are heading into the playoffs and always dangerous i mean i go back i remember listen i remember in 2006 uh when you know they were the uh fourth seed and indianapolis was the third seed yep and back you'll remember the chargers and the ravens are the top two seeds and this is why listen this is why you try to win all your games to get the higher seed people who like to suggest well we're not going to play hard this week that way we don't have to face this team in the playoffs (laughs) that never works (laughs) never telling you that never works um, you'll probably remember back 10 years ago, remember when the Cardinals reached the Super Bowl? Yes. They were the number four seed. They hosted the number six. That's right. Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship game. Indianapolis, the number three, hosted New England, the number four, that great comeback by Peyton Manning, all that. So you always get the higher seed. But to get back to your question, I, I, I think it's less about the Jets and I think it's more about the Patriots. How is this Patriot team going to kind of try to find itself because it's been it's been all over the map it really has they've lost some bizarre games this year they've been blown out a few times you go back to the tennessee game um and again has not performed well on the road at all but you know you look at this entire play field playoff field right now and you know frankly no one's really scaring you probably with the exception of the saints who to me proved in a seven-day span they can win an ugly game 12-9 
and they can win a shootout, 31-28. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to see what Drew Brees has done. They struggled to put points on the board, but that defense was saving them. And then the other day, kind of both mm-hmm. came to the forefront to end up saving them. Russell, Kansas City took one on the chin last week. The Chargers took one on the chin last week. Both teams lose, creating a win for Kansas City, wins the division, a win for L.A., plus a loss to Kansas City gives uh, L.A. the division. How do you make out what's going on in the West with do you give Denver a shot, do you give Oakland a shot? Both teams, well, L.A.'s got to be in Denver, but Oakland's got to be in Kansas City. How do you think that AFC West kind of pans out? Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs take care of business, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they struggled the first half. Um, they've lost two games in a row. Uh, it's still one of the more amazing stats of the year, and I'm sure for a lot of people this makes the case for Patrick Mahomes being the MVP. Uh, in the four games the Chiefs have lost this year, John, they scored 150 points. That's scary. That is downright okay. scary. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm put that in, in a little mini perspective. The Arizona Cardinals, I, and I know they have the worst record in the league, the Arizona Cardinals have scored 201 points in 15 games. Whew. My goodness. So <laughs> That's just scary. It is. But let's be honest. This is what a lot of people, including myself, wondered about the Chiefs this year. They really did. How was their defense going to hold up? And they've now lost games this year in which they scored 40, 51, 28, and 31 points. And the, <laughs> and the Jags won a game 6 to nothing. Uh, scoring game, six yeah, points. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of the league. Yeah. I mean, really, it's the beauty of the game. Yeah. Um, and listen, we've seen the, the better running teams and um, better defensive teams excel down the stretch here. Um, you know, it, it, scoring's been down a little. Uh, you know, again, we're still having, you know, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, uh, Kansas City, Seattle were great, fun back and forth games and so on. But um, you're seeing teams getting their house in order. In terms of defense, if they have a defense, they're going to use it. And, and that's why teams are scared of, scared, quote-unquote, of the Ravens and the Bears. And I think the team that could be wind up being the scariest, at least in the NFC, that really bears watching are the Seattle Seahawks. Very much so. And, Russell, I'm going to give you one. I just don't think they're going to get in. I just don't think it's going to happen that Philadelphia gets in the playoffs and I saw them up close and personal last week, and that that team, that offense in particular, is pretty scary. The number of ways that they can hurt you, even with Nick Foles instead of Carson Wentz. I just don't think Philadelphia can get in because they're going to need the Bears to beat the Vikings. And I have a feeling the Bears are going to – I think the Bears are going to pull things off in the second half once they see the Rams ahead of San Francisco. So I think the Vikings – I'm sorry, the Bears will get the Vikings in two straight weeks – but at that point, if I'm the Bears, I don't know that I want the Eagles. I think it's almost better for them to face the Vikings in two straight weeks. How do you think the NFC kind of pans out in that sixth seed? I like Minnesota on Sunday. I mean, I, you know, I keep on hearing all of this get thrown on Kirk Cousins. And, uh, you know, listen, their defense has been a little spotty. It's played better. Um, they're obviously a better football team when they run the football, as most teams are. Um, this was a team last year, John, that was seventh in the league in rushing. This is a team this year. It's 30th in the league in rushing. That's a big dip. Yep. So not the dominant defense from a year ago. Better, like I said, after, you know, I, I think they were a little shell-shocked after last year's NFC title game. And you saw that early in the season. But, you know, settled in nicely. Um, when they played earlier this year in Chicago, 
the Bears won the game. I mean, there was a pick six. Eddie Jackson had the pick six. But Mitchell Trubisky had problems against that defense. Yep. Okay? And he threw up a couple balls. He probably shouldn't have uh, thrown up. Eventually, uh, Minnesota had even more problems with the Bears' defense. I think the Vikings will take care of business at home. And, and Philadelphia, which it, it still seems strange. I'm sorry, still sounds strange to say this. The Eagles will attempt to do something on Sunday they haven't done the entire year. One year after the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. they're trying to win their third straight game. That's amazing to think. And they shouldn't have even gotten two in a row if we could have held a lead with, uh, you know, the, down two minutes left in the game. But uh, you know what? I've, I've left that one behind, I think. I think. <laughs> I don't know that I'm all. I don't know that I'm all the way there, but I, I think I've left it behind. Russell, I'll make this one pretty simple: Baltimore wins the AFC North, or Pittsburgh wins the AFC North. Which one you got? And as a side question, if Pittsburgh doesn't win the AFC North, is Mike Tomlin in trouble? Um, I don't know if Mike Tomlin's in trouble, but I think the defensive coordinator Keith Butler might be in trouble. Yeah. Um, and um, I think I, you know, I wrote a piece this week. I didn't make a prediction. But I'm not going to be surprised if we have a case of deja vu. Uh, last year at this time, the Baltimore Ravens were sitting at 9-6, and six, winners of five of their previous six games. All they had to do was knock off Cincinnati at home, and they were in the playoffs. They didn't, and the Buffalo Bills made Andy Dalton the national hero. At least I a think, hero of Buffalo, that's for Cleveland sure. I think Cleveland Browns might do the same thing to the Baltimore the Baltimore Ravens, and it's been more than just last year, the Baltimore Ravens in recent years have had problems closing the deal in terms of getting to the playoffs. And I just wouldn't be surprised at all if Cleveland, who has a chance at their first winning season in 11 years, and who already beat the Ravens earlier this year, I know it's different circumstances, I just won't be surprised if the Ravens, I mean, the Browns go in there and cool off a Baltimore team that is, listen, they've run for over 1,300 yards the last six games. I don't know if they'll have the same success against the Browns. The Browns' run defense isn't great. They're great at forcing turnovers, not necessarily a great run defense. But I won't be surprised if Greg Williams has a few things to show Lamar Jackson. Yeah, he definitely, uh, he, he certainly has those. There's no question about it. Follow Russell Baxter on Twitter, at BaxFootballGuru. Get on Facebook and follow NFL Vibe and give them a like and a follow on Facebook and check them out at Fanside NFL Spin Zone. Russell, you are the absolute best. We will have next week for the playoffs, and that's going to be great because we'll get a chance to catch up again. Thank you so much for your time, my man, and happy holidays to you. You got it, sir. Coming up, it's time to play Texans Pick'em, presented by Train. I pick every NFL game straight up and against the spread. You want winners? I got winners right here for you on Texans All Access. It's time for our Choose Fun Moment of the Week as brought to you by Carnival. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans, Choose Fun. Now, the result was not fun, obviously, on Sunday. No doubt about that. But there were plenty of fun moments in that particular game, and I think this was one of those by a guy who was completely dominant throughout the game, Jadeveon Clowney. Here are the Eagles with a second and six at their 14-yard line. Doesn't feed Adams. Instead, he gets sacked by Clowney. The ball is out, and the Texans say they have it. They do! Jadeveon Clowney with the triple crown right there. The sack, the strip, the recovery. He got it all right there 
on one play. He stuffed the stat sheet on Sunday. That was our Choose Fun Moment of the Week is brought to you by Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans. Choose Fun. And that whole thing about entering for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown, the Texans have caught a touchdown. Deshaun Watson has thrown a touchdown every single week. So go ahead. Check it out. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans. Choose Fun. All right. That leaves us and leads us into our Texans pick em presented by train now you guys know i do this every single week but i add a little wrinkle if you will i pick these games straight up and against the spread now you can do it straight up with our texans pick them presented by train and you can win great weekly prizes like autographs texas tickets or even a cruise all you got to do is download the texans mobile app and you can play now put your skills up against everybody else now, my little wrinkle is I pick them, like I said, straight up and against the spread. This week, seven games at noon, eight games at 3 or 325. I guess they're all 325. The reason they've done that is they don't want a situation like for, for a lot of their games like the one that Houston had two years ago in Nashville. If you remember that, the Texans could do no better than the four seed. They couldn't get to the three. They couldn't get a bye, and they'd already won a division. So they couldn't do any better than the four. So essentially, the Texans had, I think, eight guys, eight to ten guys in that game that didn't even play. There were even guys that suited out. I think Whitney played like three plays in that play in that game. And there's only so many guys you can rest, but the game didn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything at all, and the Texans actually made it close. If you remember that game in, in Nashville, the New Year's Eve, actually, was that New Year's Eve or New Year's Day? I can't remember. Either way, that's what the NFL tries to avoid. Now, there was no way out of it at that point. For example, Dallas. Dallas has got the four seed. There's nothing Dallas can do. Winning, losing doesn't change a thing. They've won a division. They're on the road at the Giants. The game doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. They can't get to the three, and they won a division. So, at that point, Dallas may rest some guys as they get ready, presumably for Seattle, for a rematch uh, wild card weekend. So you're going to see a lot of guys for Dallas getting some rest. I would imagine they'll rest Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, probably Zeke Elliott, maybe Dak, who knows. But you kind of get the point. That's why, that's why these games are staggered as they are. And then there's one Sunday night, which is pretty important to the Houston Texans, given the results that I think will occur on Sunday. If things happen the way that they're projected to happen, then the Texans beating the Jags more than likely will end up playing the winner of Indianapolis, Tennessee, which is on Sunday night. And it takes place in Nashville. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we get to our picks, I need my music and boom. There we go. Okay. Let's start with Miami going to Buffalo. Game doesn't matter on either side. Miami scored all seven points. There are changes coming in Miami. Kyle Williams just announced his retirement for the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo is favored by four and a half. A five and ten team favored by four and a half over Miami. And I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills to win and cover that four and a half. I think Miami going up to Buffalo, it's not going to be a horrible day apparently. It's going to be in the mid-30s. So, yeah, look, that's cold. But I don't think it's going to matter. I think Buffalo is going to play hard for Kyle Williams. I think Buffalo has played better with Josh Allen at quarterback. 
I think Buffalo's going to win that game. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be 17-10, you know, 21-13 kind of game. But Buffalo's going to get the win and cover that four and a half. New England and the Jets. Oh, boy. This is a big one for the Texans. But unfortunately, I don't think it's going to matter. The Jets are 4-11, had a win in their sights against the Houston Texans, had a win in their sights even more so. This one, was it was right in their hands and it slipped out against the Green Bay Packers. So the last three weeks, the Jets went to Buffalo, beat Buffalo, scored 27 points, played us on Saturday afternoon slash night, had a lead with five minutes left in the fourth quarter, lost 29-22. Last week, they had a big lead on Green Bay, lost in overtime 44-38. So one of two things are going to happen against New England. Either that's going to give them confidence, they can go to New England and at least compete, or it will have taken every ounce of energy possible to have gone through those three games, and they'll just get drilled. I was thinking of words I could say that the FCC won't find me for, but they'll get drilled. So which one is it? I, I don't. I think they're. I would love to think that Sam Darnold will keep it interesting, but in the end, New England knows what it's playing for. It's playing for at least a buy. It still can get the number one seed, but I don't think that's going to happen. Similarly, I don't think. The Texans getting a bye is going to happen. I think New England wins this. I think they cover. I think they win this by 17. This feels 34-17. New England gets the win. The spread is 13 and a half. New England wins. New England covers. They get a bye. Dallas goes to New York. This one doesn't even matter. I don't think either team. I I think New York just wants the season to be over at this point. They got to figure out what they're doing with Eli going forward. I think Saquon Barkley has had a really strong year. But I think the Giants are going to live to regret the fact that they did not draft the quarterback in this class that had five bona fide NFL starters, and they've all proven that this week or this year. I'm taking Dallas to win on the road. They'll cover the six and a half. You know, I I was kind of torn on this one. Maybe we should go the other way. I don't think it matters. It doesn't really matter for both teams, but I think Dallas will have some guys sitting out on this one. Let's go with the Giants to cover that number, though. Let's go with the Giants to cover that number, but Dallas is going to end up winning that game. Dallas get to 10-6. It'll be a good year for Jason Garrett, and then they get ready for Seattle wildcard weekend. Detroit goes to Green Bay. Doesn't matter on either side. Green Bay, a rough year. When they played in Detroit, Mason Crosby missed about 8 million field goals. Green Bay's favored by 9.5. They'll beat Detroit. Detroit's quit. They're not. They're, it's not a good situation up there at Matt Patricia right now. It's kind of ugly. Green Bay is going to get the win and cover that 9.5. Atlanta, Tampa Bay, same thing. Nothing really going on here. Atlanta's a better football team right now. Atlanta will win that. So they're a one-and-a-half point favorite. It's essentially a pick em. I'll take Atlanta to go to Tampa Bay and beat up Tampa Bay. A name to watch. Deshaun Jackson said he wants out of Tampa Bay. He's expensive, though. He's very expensive. Carolina goes to New Orleans. New Orleans at 13-2. and Doesn't have anything to play for. They have the number one seed in the NFC wrapped up. They are playing at home throughout. They will not play another game outside for the rest of the year because this one, the playoff game, they won't play outside the rest of the year. That's a pretty cool thing for them, and they're really good in the Dome. Huge win last week. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Carolina. I would have had them probably a 14-point favorite, all things considered. New Orleans will probably rest some guys, but Atlanta is going to start Kyle Allen at quarterback, formerly of U of H, formerly of A&M. I still think New Orleans will cover that 7.5. 
Oakland and Kansas City. Now, this is another one on the Texans' radar. This shows you how improbable it will be for the Texans to get a bye. New England's favored by 13.5. Kansas City's favored by 13.5. And and the Chargers are favored by 6.5 on the road. Need all – actually, you need either the Patriots to lose or KC and L.A. to lose. Neither one. Neither one's good. Now, Oakland will play hard. It's Kansas City. It's a rival for them. Gruden will treat it like a Super Bowl. I would hope. But Kansas City's favored by 13.5. Licking their wounds a little bit after last week's loss. I think Kansas City covers that 13.5 pretty easily. 42-28. I mean, that's not covering easily, but I think 42-28 is probably the, the smallest margin. It could be more than that, but I think Kansas City gets the win and the cover, and Kansas City will be the number one seed in the AFC. Cincinnati goes to Pittsburgh. Cincinnati opened up a can of quit a long time ago. Pittsburgh has to have it. Has to have it. They've got to also have Baltimore lose, and we'll get to Baltimore in just a second. Pittsburgh's favored by 15 and a half. I think Pittsburgh plays with a high level of urgency. Pittsburgh wins this game and covers the 15 and a half. And then decision time at Cincinnati. What's Mike Brown going to do with Marvin Lewis, Hugh Jackson, everybody there? Is there a new quarterback coming in? There's all kinds of questions going on with Cincinnati. But Pittsburgh is going to send them and send them out. Cincinnati, will, they'll show up, but I don't know how much they'll play. Too many guys injured. Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. Pittsburgh should win that one big. Cleveland then goes to Baltimore. Let's show you how far Cleveland has come this year. Had Cleveland made one field goal against Pittsburgh in overtime, they had an opportunity to miss the field goal. Had they made that field goal, had the Browns made that field goal against Pittsburgh in week one, Cleveland would be 8-7. and seven taking on Baltimore at 9-6. And And since Cleveland had beaten Baltimore earlier in the year, had Cleveland beaten Baltimore in this one, Cleveland then would have won the AFC North. No, I'm not joking. But they didn't do that. So Cleveland's playing for pride and also to try and knock Baltimore from the playoffs for the second consecutive year. Last year, it was Cincinnati went into Baltimore and won on a last-second play and knocked Baltimore out of the playoffs. That let Buffalo get in. Cleveland will not do that, but they will play it close. The spread's five and a half. I think this will be a three-point game. I think Baltimore wins, goes to the playoffs as the four seed. Cleveland does cover. Chicago and Minnesota. Now, I'm going Minnesota on this one, and I think here's what's going to happen because this game's at 325 and so are the Rams. The Rams are playing San Francisco. Matt Nagy has already said he's going to keep an eye on that Rams game. And if it looks like the Rams are blowing out the Niners or making short work of the Niners, he's going to pull some starters in the second half. Because at that point, Chicago, with a Rams win, can't get to number two. They've got to be number three. And then Minnesota, Chicago would face Minnesota again. But here's the thought. If Chicago wins, Chicago faces Philadelphia. If Philadelphia wins. And I think Philadelphia is going to hammer Washington. We'll get to that one in a second. Chicago does not want Philadelphia. Chicago would rather play half, look around in the second half, go, eh, we can't get to the two seed. Let's just play some backups. Let's keep Trubisky healthy. Let's keep some other guys healthy. Let's get through this and then get ready for Minnesota to come to our place the following week. At that point, 
I'm going to take Minnesota to cover the four and a half and win this one by a touchdown to ten points. Speaking of Philadelphia, they go to Washington. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Washington. The Eagles will win that and win it easily. The Eagles are a very good team. Washington is not at this point of the year. Even though they're both – well, one's eight and seven, one's seven and eight. Uh, no chance. Philadelphia's going to win that one by seven or more. And the spread six and a half. So give Philly a cover on the road and the win. Unfortunately, Philly won't make it into the playoffs. And I say unfortunately because I think Philly could get in there as the number six seed and make all kinds of noise. All kinds of noise. Arizona goes to Seattle. Seattle's going to get the win. Arizona's bad, bad, bad. And Seattle gets the win by more than 13 and a half. Seattle's got the five seed locked up. They can't go any further. They can't change anything. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some guys rest in the second half. But I still think Seattle have a big lead. And they'll get the win over Arizona. The Chargers go to Denver. Would love to see Denver pull this one out for the Texans' sake. If they got a miracle from Oakland and Denver, then the Texans could still get a bye if they win. But I don't think that's going to happen. The Texans, I think, will win. But the Chargers are going to Denver. They still got a lot to play for. Because if Oakland does beat Kansas City, then the Chargers end up being the number one seed. So the Chargers can be number one or number five. Oh, my goodness. So the Chargers beat Denver by more than six and a half. I think Denver's Denver has uh, opened a can of quit. They're pretty much they're, they're done. And I think it's going to cost Vance Joseph his job. I think it could ultimately cost Case Keenum his job. Chargers to beat the Broncos by more than six and a half. The Rams in San Francisco. We've talked about this one a little bit. The Rams are favored by nine and a half at home. I think the Rams, even though they're not playing great football, are going to end up getting this win by ten or more. They're going to lock up the number two seed, get a bye, get guys healthy, and they'll be pretty dangerous come the playoffs. And then Sunday night, Indianapolis and Tennessee. Tennessee is already without Jarrell Casey, but Tennessee is playing at home. Tennessee could have Marcus Mariota, but they've got to face Andrew Luck. Indianapolis is favored by three and a half on the road and beat Tennessee 38-10 to the last time they played them. I'm going with Indianapolis on this, but I do think that Tennessee is going to make this one tough. I think Tennessee is going to try and hammer the rock with Derrick Henry. I do believe that Marcus Mariota will play, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them have to go to Gabbard at some point, and Gabbard keeps it close, but in the end, this is going to be Indianapolis. And if everything pans out the way we think it will, and as I've talked about, the Texans would then play Indianapolis in the first round of the playoffs here at NRG Stadium next weekend. Oh, boy. Now, we'll be scoreboard watching as we watch the Texans take on the Jaguars. That's always kind of fun in Week 17, and this year it matters. Last year, it was just, let's get through this game. Let's get through this game, and let's get home and get this season over with and get to 2018. We got to 2018. It's been an unbelievable season, and he got an opportunity to close it out against Jacksonville and win the AFC South. So there you go. There's your Texans Pick'em presented to you by Train. We get back. It's our players segment. Got a little KJAC TV. We got our final word with Drew Doherty. We got all that next right here on Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio as we inch ever so closely to a matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. Week 17, end of the regular season. The Texans are in the playoffs, have no idea who they'll play, where they'll play, what week they're playing, what day they're playing, what time. We have no knowledge of any of that. We just know that the Texans are in the playoffs. We know with a win, they can take the division. With a loss, well, more than likely on the road 
for the playoffs for Wild Card Weekend. Oh, my goodness. But I will give you something that I heard Deshaun Watson say, and it gave me confidence. He said, no matter, we're in the dance. We just need to be in the dance. That's all we need. He's got confidence. He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him. He just wants to take on anyone, anywhere, anytime. I am all about that. I appreciate that. I just would like to do it at home. And a win over the Jaguars will at least ensure a playoff game at home. Against whom and when and all that? Well, some of that depends on what else happens in the NFL. And we've talked about that throughout the show. In this final segment, we devote it to our players. We have a little bit of KJAC TV brought to you by Arctic. And we've got a little final word with Drew Doherty this week. It's Christian Covington. But we are going to start with the aforementioned KJAC TV is brought to you by Arctic. The official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic Coolers. Overbuilt, not overpriced. Which teammate would you want to run your Instagram? Kareem, take it away. All right, well, let's, we jump, let's jump right in. There's a couple questions, man. You know how KJAC TV oh, do yeah, it, man. I've been trying questions. to get on the TV for the longest, bro. All right, well, What's you up? here now, brother. You are here. Man, you man. are here, brother. Yes, sir. Which teammate would you let run your Instagram for a day? Ooh, that's a good question, man. Be honest, I'll probably let you run on my Instagram for a day. <laughs> That's a great choice. <laughs> why why'd you say me? Dab it down on Instagram, man. You know? You know, I, 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 I I've never seen Jack's post. You know, this man suited and bought it. Uh, it, might, it might be you. Mm. I've seen all them, all them uh, kicks you mm. got, all that clothes. You got a magazine mm. cover. Brian Peters. Brian Peters. Somebody else said that today too. What, what's so interesting about Brian Peters? Man, he, you know, he does a great job with like, you know, uh, portrait mode on the, on mm. the, on the so, phone. So he's, so he's with he the got filters. That eye. He, yeah. he got the, the filters all day. I mean, I could look jacked up something. He gonna edit that joint out. Probably Whitney. You let Whitney run your Instagram for a day? Why is that? Because he barely posts anything. So. Okay, that's smart. I, I, I let you run it for a day. You let me run it? You're the third person that done said that today. Who can't run your Instagram? That man right there, Bernardrick McKinney. Why? Why? Why'd you say that? That man right over there, because that's a that's a wild that's a wild man. I don't know what he might try to put up. Who can't run your Instagram for a day? Ryan Peters. Why is that? It's my arch nemesis. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's that's a good reason why. Yeah. Probably Hop. You won't let Hop run it? No. Hop pretty interesting on Instagram. Why not? Cause he go live every morning, like everybody. Oh. Like, he waking everybody up with the notification. Yeah, he do stay live a lot. All right, man, Justin Battermost right here. KJAC TV, that, we out, baby. That's all the questions we had, man. That was a short end. That was a pretty short. Well, you ain't got no- I just had a couple. That's all. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions. This is my show. You can't ask me questions on my show, man. Oh, Only right. person control this is me. I thought we were having a conversation. We had it. Oh, okay. Now it's over. Appreciate you, baby. We're going to have you back on. You're locked right here. Yeah, so we're going to have you back on. Yeah, soon. Okay. All right, man. We out. (laughs) I say it every week, and I mean it. I absolutely love KJAC TV. Just love it. I think Kareem is fantastic. I think the guys play along perfectly. It's such a great segment. I would love a playoff edition of KJAC TV. So, got to take care of some business, and maybe we'll get Kareem to do it during the playoffs. He will be available to play on Sunday, and will play. He is in. Missed him dearly last Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles, so desperately need him on Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Another player that has stepped up over the last probably five to six weeks is Christian Covington. 
So it's time for our final word with Drew Doherty, and this week it is the aforementioned Christian Covington. The intangible C4. I wondered what that meant. Well, we found out last week in our Deep Slant interview, it's Christian's full name. They all start with C. Four C's. C4. Well, he sat down with Drew Doherty. Two D's. How about that? Final word, Drew Doherty, Christian Covington. Go. Many, many thanks. We've got Christian Covington, defensive lineman. I say defensive lineman. You're a defensive end. You're a nose tackle. You play it all. Yes, sir. Big, big game on Sunday. It's good to be back in front of the home crowd, right? Oh, absolutely. Cannot wait. We know what it means to have, you know, the home field advantage with the crowd that we have and the fans that we have. So to be able to, you know, finish out the season, you know, with it being a home game, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. And let's talk about your opponent. Blake Bortles is the guy under center. No matter what, though, what have you seen at the quarterback spot when you look at this team on tape? You know, we we see we see guys that can you know do it do it all. You know, they can make the throws when they need to make the throws, and they can make the plays with their legs when they they need to run. You know, whatever uh, QB replays they have set. You know, we know that this is a team that is going to want to run the ball, establish a, a run game with regards to who they have in that backfield. Uh, but at the same time, you know, this this uh, the Jaguars are a formidable opponent. We have to be ready. Uh, we have to be sure that we're ready to go. Yeah, you know, you are what your record says you are, but. In this case, is a team that you can't fall asleep. No, you never want to fall asleep on any team. I don't care if we're going to be playing a uh, winless team. The teams like that are the, really the most dangerous. So, and it's just like you know, it's, it, I've heard this a lot of times in my past. You know, with regards to the game, it's like you know, when you want to, if you disrespect the game, is the dis, the game is going to disrespect you right back. So, you never want to take any opponent uh, lightly or for granted. No, the record doesn't mean anything. Up front, you guys have had quite a season stopping the run. You're fourth in the NFL. You only give up 86.2 yards per game to opponents. You haven't really allowed anybody to get 80 yards since I think Saquon Barkley in Week Three. Why? is this Texans defense so good at stopping the run Christian uh this team knows what we have to do each each and every play you know every uh, everybody knows their job everybody knows their assignment and you know the one thing that's been preached to us you know over the course of time that I've been here is you know the fact that you have to do your job first and then help out you know we have a bunch of guys obviously on this defense that are playmakers they're going to be the ones in and around every play you know every single every single chance they are I'd be able to be on the field. Uh, but with that being said, you know, for basically everybody, even them included, everybody knows that to do your job first is the most important thing. And then from there, that's when the extra kicks in. And that's when the really the superstars really take over with, uh, with this defense. Okay, you are in the playoffs. A new season is upon us soon. Don't know where you're going to play. Don't know who you're going to play. But judging by the mood in this locker room, judging by you guys, you're a very confident bunch with what you have under center in Deshaun Watson and what you guys can do across the rest of the defense, aren't you? As long as we have four back there, we're not worried. Uh, it's as simple as that. Obviously, we know we're focused on this game at hand right now, but looking forward, I know it doesn't really matter what the situation is. I know this team and every team goes through their ups and downs in the season, but I mean, with this team, this is a resilient group of guys. This is a resilient team that's been through the highs and lows, the ups and downs. So, you know, for us, to be able to have that ticket punch is a blessing. It's awesome. Uh, but at the same time, we still know what's in front of us. And uh, it doesn't matter what the what role we want to take. We know what's at the end of the road. We know that that's where we want to go. It's the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? Amen, brother. <laughs> Christian Covington, best of luck on Sunday. Best of luck in January and hopefully in February, too. Yes, sir. Thank you. There he is, Christian Covington, defensive lineman for your Houston Texan and a guy that has played, I think, extremely well lately especially in those pass rush situations. He has been working a lot of twists and stunts with J.D. and Watt and D.J. Reader. I mean, they've been doing a really good job inside and a big challenge this week, even though more than likely no Leonard Fournette. Carlos Hyde is questionable. 
It does mean T.J. Yeldon's going to play, I think, a significant amount. It does mean that Blake Bortles is going to carry the football a significant amount in this game. What do they got to lose? It's week 17. Let it all hang out. I do think there will be, and I should have put this in my keys the more I think about this. There's going to be some trick plays. There's going to be some offensive trick plays. I would think Scott Milanovic, the offensive coordinator, is not going to sit there and just let the Texans dictate defensively and go three and out and all that kind of stuff. He's going to try and come up with something to steal points, to steal uh, a, a short drive in some sense, like get a get a big play, 60-70 yard play that sets up a field goal or a touchdown. They're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at the Texans defense, I have a feeling. Just my hunch. Why not? They've done it in years past, even when Doug Marone was not the coach. But I've seen Marone roll the dice a little bit. I think they're going to throw everything they've got. Every trick play they've been working on, it's coming on Sunday. The Jaguars would love nothing more in a season that's been dreadful for them, that had a seven-game losing streak, where they were eliminated from the playoff playoffs weeks ago, one year after almost going to the Super Bowl, to ruin the Texans' dreams of winning the division. And the only way the Texans can win a division if they lose is if Indianapolis and Tennessee tie, and I don't think that's going to happen. I don't believe that's going to happen. So taking care of business, the Texans must do on Sunday. A lot of people to thank for tonight's show. Got to thank D.B. Sidhu, DeAndre Carter, Mark Vandermeer, thank Drew Doherty, Christian Covington, Kareem Jackson, as always, my man Russell Baxter for being here as well. You guys are the absolute best. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. And on Sunday, let's get it together for Fan Appreciation Day one more time in the regular season. Let's go Texans.